You're listening to Dave and Dia, a podcast about basketball, life, and the Portland Trailblazers. Please keep all hands and arms inside the window and welcome your hosts, Dave Decker and Dia Miller. Hello, Portland Trailblazers fans, and welcome to Dave and Dia, a podcast about the Blazers, the NBA, life in general, whatever the heck we're thinking of at the moment. I'm Dave Deckard here with Dia Miller, and last time that we podcast after a game, it is Tuesday night as we speak, the Blazers have just defeated the Washington Wizards in a very nice 132 to 121. It wasn't quite a rout, but it was a comfortable lead. That was great. Last time we did this, Dia, we had just lost to the Chicago Bulls. And that was like maybe the most depressing podcast ever. The Blazers are not quite on a winning streak. They they went one and one and one and one on the They're road They're on a so not far. losing streak. They're on a not losing streak. Let's put it that yeah. way. So, uh, you know, winning streak of one on the road. We'll take it. How are you feeling? It's interesting what this season has done to me <laughs> because I'm watching the game tonight and I'm thinking, I find myself thinking negative thoughts. <laughs> I'm really trying not to do that, but it's just, man, it just feels like we're in this stretch of struggle. You know, I'm almost just waiting for the next bad thing. And it's not even so much a commentary on our skill level right now as just all the injuries like we're just so beaten and bruised okay yeah Nasir Little has 31 points against the Milwaukee Bucks and gets injured Anthony Simons has a bruise and only plays 12 minutes against the Wizards Carmelo Anthony is pressed into 26 minutes of service he's about the only player to play off the bench otherwise it was the starting five which was already the bench by the way the starting five is the bench Uh, Covington is back I suppose no CJ McCollum no Derek Jones Jr. no Yusuf Nurkic. So the bench is the starting five. There is no bench anymore. Uh, Harry Giles, Carmelo Anthony, that is it. Blazers are basically suiting up seven players that can really go. And one of them is 30 billion years old, uh, Carmelo. And uh, who knows who knows how long he can play if he has to be pressed into extended service. So yeah, things are hanging by a thread. But hey, you know, Miss Negative, the Blazers actually played really well tonight. And, you know, you should be yep. a little more of an optimist. You, need some, <laughs> you should get some rainbows and some unicorns because the defense was fantastic for the starting lineup in the opening quarter. The three-point shooting really helped. That's always their bailout. But they kept up the effort fairly consistently throughout the game in Washington. Granted, it's Washington, but Washington can score a lot. The Blazers never let them get too close. And it was really an impressive victory folks write this down february 2nd 2021 dave is more optimistic than i am this is a a historic moment in the history of the dave and dia podcast in 12 episodes don't don't (laughs) get up on us dia no i'm not you know it was good to see i think washington was a team that we had to beat we had to win this game once again we started out with a solid lead then it bounced around a little they would kind of catch up. They'd start to close the gap, but we held it. We held it together. We didn't make any big mistakes. We didn't have any big problems. And not only that, coming off a back-to-back on a road trip. So it's seven guys that just played last night against another very difficult team and then traveled to get to where they are. So it's not just seven players playing a game. It's seven players playing a game after a rough couple days here. 
Well, Dia, it's not just that the Blazers didn't have problems. They finally caused problems. They caused problems for the other team. And it wasn't so much where you'd expect. Now, Damian Lillard and Gary Trent Jr., kind of a wash with Westbrook and Beal. I mean, in fact, with C.J. McCollum out, you'd expect Washington to have the advantage in the backcourt. They didn't. And Trent was fantastic on defense. Uh, Beal yeah. had a hard time getting started tonight. I saw a lot of comments on Twitter from people saying Gary Trent Jr. deserves to be one more minutes and two on the starting lineup. And that's that's going to get interesting here moving forward as we start talking about where do we go from here? Because we've got CJ McCollum. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? How do you justify keeping Trent? He's going to ask for a lot more next year. And CJ McCollum, who are essentially playing the same role on the team. How do you keep them both? What do you do with that? And who do you choose? Yeah, exactly. Some of us have been debating this for a while now on the uh, trade CJ because it's good for CJ and you've got a backup now team. That said, the fact that Lillard and Trent were able to match Westbrook and Beal was great but that was only getting even that was like the two arm wrestlers and they're kind of in the middle straining against each other robert covington rodney hood ennis Cantor, they made a difference in this game because first of all covington had good defense second of all Hood was shooting like the Hood of two years ago and looking yep. a lot closer to it. And Cantor, okay, he played a little bit of defense and a little bit is a way better than none. And also his rebounding was just demonstrably great. It absolutely disrupted the Wizards on both ends. And I looked at the end of the game. I looked at the box score. He only had five offensive rebounds. I said in the recap, it seemed like he had 50 because it seemed yeah. like every time Portland missed, he got them another possession. And you could just see the Wizards begin to wilt in the face of that onslaught. So really, you saw the best of the supporting cast that was there. And that actually looked like a pretty darn good lineup. Yeah, it's interesting when you put us up against a team like the Wizards, who just are not really having a great season. They aren't the strongest team Again, like I said, it's one of those that we really should beat. It's interesting to watch this come together and realize that like, hey, we can actually do this. We do have the pieces. We can pull it together. So why aren't we? <laughs> like, why, why are we just seeing this now? I mean, you know me and my trying to see the glass half full thing. I don't know if I care why, as long as we fix it. Like, as long as we get it together, we keep doing this. That's a good thing. I feel like this is a team that just pulls it together. They do what they need to do. And sometimes not any more and not any less. I wonder how much we would have beat them by if we'd had our entire starting lineup. But the fact that we still played like a team we've talked about before like when we see those glimpses of good things it means the ability is there and i think we saw a lot of that and and we've seen it we've really we've seen glimpses of it over the last few games canter canter has been a shining star over the last few games he's been amazing and nasir with his 30 point game against the bucks the guy came out and just nailed it of course then he got injured and couldn't play but he played to a higher potential than we have seen him play. And I think, you know, this goes back to a few weeks ago when we talked about the fact that so many of our guys were injured and what are we going to do now? And, and what are the positives of this? And I said, Dave, I was right again. 
I said, <laughs> I said, we're going to see these guys that are, you know, don't get as many minutes that are going to come out here and they're going to get that time. And I think they're going to step up and I think they're going to get better. And I think we're going to see it. And I think that's exactly what happened with Nasir. He came out and he killed it. Okay, granted, they got the reps, and that's good. And that's what I believe is a positive about this. And they got the reps in a victory, which actually little didn't. But the guys that play tonight actually had their efforts contribute to a win. Now, Washington does not play defense, and that's why Hood and Covington were open as far as they were. That said, other teams have also left Covington and Derek Jones Jr. open throughout the season, and they have not made those three-pointers. So it was good to see them fall. Now, they were ultra-hot tonight. That's going to cool down. Robert Covington is not going to shoot five for nine or whatever he did tonight. You know that, but you just don't want it to go down all the way. You want this to be a spark that gives him confidence that when he is open, he can hit it. And the fact that he has no choice but to shoot it right now because no one else on the team is available, that's actually good. This is just an aberration but you hope it's an aberration that raises the level overall so when it recedes back down it's not quite so bad and that's all the blazers need really they don't need him to shoot that fantastic percentage all the time what they need is for him to not stink shooting the three and hopefully this will give him confidence to do so it was a good game it was good to see them playing this way they played well they played like they knew what they were doing they played like they had a plan they played like a team they came out, they did it all. They didn't just rely on their offense. They played. Or Lillard, six players in double yeah. figures, right? Including yeah. Carmelo Anthony, 21 points off the bench in 26 minutes. I mean, his best game of the season. Now, again, there was joy and pain to that. The joy was 21 points in 26 minutes. Can't argue with it. The pain was Washington keyed in to him being on the floor and a big part of the offense and immediately began to double team him which just threw everything into chaos i mean (laughs) that's not we're not used to that happening (laughs) it's not sustainable uh because as soon as people know carmelo's going to shoot that's what's going to happen better teams are going to rip him apart but it's okay for tonight it was a win for tonight six players in double figures is way better i think than them winning by everybody else kind of stinking and dame scoring 61 Agreed. Agreed. Because we can't sustain that. We can't always rely on Dame coming out and scoring 61 points every game. It's just not realistic. So it's good to see some of that, some of those other guys really stepping up and being contributors in a big way. And I think they did that. Dia, 40 points in the first quarter. Dame Lillard scored two. Yeah, that's that's huge. Scored 38 points. I said in the recap, I'm not sure that's ever happened. I cannot remember that happening. I know games when he's injured and the Blazers have done all right. That I can't remember Dame being on the floor for his full shift and the team scoring 40 and he only has two of those. That well, we, was amazing. We, yeah, I mean, we at the beginning of the season, it's like he tried to do that and no one really helped him remember that he came out and was kind of trying to make plays for other people and it just wasn't clicking it wasn't happening so it's nice to see that there's some improvement in that and hopefully we'll keep seeing that if we could continue that if we could continue to have this our supporting players step up and score in double digits that would be amazing i would love to see that that makes for a fun game yeah i wish jones jr could be in there because i really think he needs the reps but i mean he can't have everything I read something, though, that said that he's maybe expected to appear at some point on this road trip. So I think he's he's getting close here. 
That's good. Speaking so, of the road trip, we should reverse a little bit. Uh, Milwaukee was a reality check. The the Bucks just absolutely destroyed. I mean, it's like stop, please. They're dead already. You know, it was just which, one of those games. Which was, I mean, you you kind of had to expect it. I think you always want to remain positive and hopeful that that we're going to win. And obviously, we never go into a game hoping we're going to lose or thinking we're going to lose. I think that the Bucks are a very solidly defensive team, and we just couldn't we couldn't hold it against them and i i'll tell you the truth i am not team rest dame when we're way far behind give him a break i i tend to think no let him play because i mean how many times have we come back and win how many times have we has he come in and closed the gap like i i tend to think you don't just give up and give in you push to the best of your ability until the very last second. But I'll tell you, I'll be honest, that Bucks game, about halfway through the third quarter, I started thinking, okay, we need to pull Dame out because we were down by like 30 points at that point. And in my head, all I could think is, Dame is throwing himself at players. He's grappling for the ball. Like he's fighting, which is what Dame does. But we already have four starters that are injured we can't have him go down too and i'm so afraid of injury even tonight tonight i saw your tweet i tweeted almost the same thing that dame looked at his wrist for the dame time and all i could think is oh my gosh he hurt his wrist so i think that we're so there's so much anxiety wrapped up in injuries right now that like when we're down by 30 points against the bucks who are a solid team that we know is going to be a struggle to beat we're probably not going to come back and we have another game the next day that's a road trip that we very well could beat. I was pulling for them to pull him out, to be honest, because at that point, it's just like, we don't want more injuries. The disappointing thing about the Milwaukee game was the lack of three-point coverage on defense. And no matter who's injured, you should be able to move your feet. And I get it. The Blazers were getting blown out. They kind of gave up on it. But... It was kind of disgusting. It was practice shots for Milwaukee all night long. They got on a hot streak, which kind of rubbed salt in the wound. And that's how the Blazers got destroyed. I could understand if Giannis overpowered you, if they had to work for it, but they didn't have to work at all. It was just a free-for-all. Did not love that, but did love the Chicago game. How Wait, about- hold on. Yeah, Let me say something ahead. to that. That is my biggest pet peeve. My biggest pet peeve and frustration in watching basketball is lack of hustle and lack of putting your dang hands in the air. This goes back to my junior high and high school days of playing basketball where we would get in trouble and have to run lines. If you didn't, if, if somebody was had the ball and no one was on them, we were in trouble. You get your butt hustling over there. Even if you don't make it, you wave your arms, you yell like a crazy person, you do what you need to do to distract the person and don't give them an open shot. I struggle to watch this happen. And that was my biggest thing with Whiteside is Whiteside when when he was on the team, it was like he hit a point halfway through the game where he'd be, you know, someone would be going to take a, a shot and he'd be two yards away, halfway lifting his arm in the air. It's like you're so tall and your reach is so big that even if you just stand in one spot and put your arm in the air, there's a chance you might do something. But if you like, you don't just stand there and look at them like I it makes me absolutely I don't care how good or how bad a team is. I don't care how good or how bad you are on defense. Get your button gear, run over there, make a, a 
you know, like you do if a bear comes to attack you, you're smaller than the bear. You're not going to be able to fight the bear off, but you better make a lot of noise and act like you're big and distract the bear. Like you go at it, do something. Don't just stand there. This is, I just, I can't, I, let, let. I get so frustrated by this. And, and this is, I mean, this goes to obviously like we struggle on defense. We know this. That's one really easy thing that could maybe, I mean, I'm not a professional. I am not a professional and I never played a high level of basketball, but I'm just saying like, maybe if you run at the guy with the ball, maybe if you put your hands in the air when he's trying to shoot the ball, it might help our defense just a little let it be known that dia miller is throwing her hands in the air like an nba center <laughs> out of her seat right now demonstrating this see i posited that the blazers need to trade for someone with a never say die attitude actually they should probably just trade for you because you, would, you would hey them. listen my five three little self would be running and yelling as oh, much as i possibly three. could you grew an inch and a half did you Whatever, five two, five three. We'll take whatever it is. I round well, up. Yeah. Well, I mean, long story short, uh, defense is you know it's like the rappers throw your hands in the air, wave them around like you just don't care. But the yeah, emphasis, emphasis is not supposed do to be on don't care, right? So, no. Anyway, no. It, do something. It, just do. Just don't stand there. Even if you don't make it to the guy, even if you don't make it. Do something. All right. Do something. Well, we ride our rainbow unicorn back in time then to Chicago. <laughs> the uh, the last 11.5 seconds. I mean, otherwise, that was an okay game, I thought. The Blazers really were going to lose that, though. I mean, you could feel it in the fourth quarter. They let things slip a little bit, and there was a dogfight, but th- Chicago was the bigger dog. So... It had all the hallmarks of a loss. And the critical thing, I tweeted about this. I mean, and it's not critical. The indicative thing to me was the Blazers announcers, including the TV announcers, including the analysts, including Brooke and Dam, just began to sound at one point like they were going to a funeral. I mean, we had seen this before. You could see it slipping. And then all of a sudden, that last 11.5 seconds. The Blazers are down five, have the ball. Dame hits a three. You kind of knew that was going to happen. That makes for the two to four point loss if they hit the you know free throws. Trent Jr. ties him up with the jump ball, uh, ties up Zach Levine, wins the jump ball. Covington gets the ball to Dame for the last second shot, and the Blazers win it and turn around the entire Narrative. I mean, Brooke Olsendam went from, you know, sad clown at the Halloween party to just <laughs> absolutely, you know, dancing the can-can in about 10 seconds. And that's actually a good barometer. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you could tell it turned things around. And the celebration in the locker room after, they were going to walk in the locker room with their second straight loss and a pretty dispirited effort. And all of a sudden, things sparked. Now, again, fell off the rails in Milwaukee, but they got it back in Washington. My thing with that, not just how great Dame was, but signs of life, despite the injuries, Mm -hmm. signs of life. Yeah, that's what you needed. An affirmation that we are still here to win. Yeah. Full disclosure, that was on my four year old's now four year old's birthday. So I was not watching the game closely. I kind of was glancing at it here and there. You were messaging me updates as as you could and it was interesting to watch your updates go from you kind of did the same thing that Brooke did I mean you were telling me to to go look up other things and distract myself (laughs) so you were kind of a sense of gloom and doom too and then it just turned around so fast and I went back and looked at the highlights at the end and it was just 
insane. And it's interesting because I saw a lot of people tweeting that they had turned off the game and given up. And I was like, you guys, I always say you cannot count this team out until it's over. I think that's the mentality that Dame has. I think he's one of these people like me. I will just say I am this way too, where it's not over till it's over. Comparing it yourself could, to Dame is that's. that's I mean, I, I, I got to take it where I can. She's There's the, not one other comparison I can make. This is the only comparison I've know. got. Char- I'm taking it. Charismatic, got a good jumper. <laughs> Probably will someday be doing uh, endorsements for, you know, sneakers <laughs> or cars or something. Yeah. I think he is one of these people that will not believe that they have lost until that buzzer sounds. And I really appreciate that about him. And I also really encourage Blazer fans never to turn off the game, no matter how frustrating it looks, because you just never know what's going to happen. And that was, that was something that was, I said, did you see the stat on the TV today that they were talking about where it's like 42,000 something to nine that that's ever happened where they've come back with that little time and that big of a lead or that big of a, never tell me the The key thing to me too, Gary Trent Jr. made that play happen. Robert Covington made that play happen. Now, Covington was not going to take that ball and turn around at the three-point arc. I mean, he was like going, probably, thank goodness, here, have it. Right, Uh, right, take it. (laughs) But Trent, absolutely, with the defense, with the agility, with his hands, the dexterity there, with the out-jumping Levine and getting the tip in the right direction to the right person, that was just the subtlety of that. I mean, Dame makes the highlights, but Dame doesn't make the highlights unless Gary Trent Jr., exists and by the way i'm not sure that many other people maybe jones jr and probably covington could make that play it's a very small group on this team that could make that play happen and without him they don't win again i think this says something look the blazers are deep but you have to be selective about that depth you can't just throw players together on the basis of everybody's kind of good and every there are very different skill sets there are very different strengths some of which the blazers really need some of which might be a little redundant as you're making decisions about this team i think you have to keep that in mind and not just the overall talent level i think it's obvious from the start of the season that absent a really healthy nurk the overall talent level isn't going to take them places. And we don't know that we're going to have a really healthy NERC. So you start making decisions about how to optimize and how to plan for the future. And that may involve shifting some things so you have fewer redundancies and more chance for those talents that don't overlap, like Gary Trent's, to show forth. So we've got... At this point, obviously, the Wizards game that we won tonight, the Bucks game that we lost before that, the Bulls game that we won before that, and our first road game that was on, that was right after our last podcast, the Rockets. We took on Houston in Houston. It was a game I thought we would probably win, and it, it was a loss. It was a tough loss. It was only by only by three points, and anytime we get within you know, two or three points and, and have that kind of a loss that that one hurts because, you know, 
you know, just one different thing in the game could have turned it around, could have made it a win. There were a lot of different things going on, too. I mean, the defensive effort wasn't sterling. The offense wasn't flowing. DeMarcus Cousins looked great, by the way. Wanted him even more <laughs> after that game. I was going to say, he, you're a you're a big fan of his coming to Portland. I, I've heard you talk about that. Him or JaVale McGee? Yeah, I mean, I would love them as kind of dynamic changing centers. Cousins would be better. I don't think Houston is going to like go of him, but I wouldn't mind seeing that. That said, this was the game where Charles Barkley analyzed at halftime saying the Blazers kind of play like they're just out there to see what happens. And there's grain of truth in that. It's part of what you were saying before. And it's not just, I mean, Hassan Whiteside was the epitome of that, but there's some of that to the guards. I mean, I, I will admit I have thought before that other than, I mean, obviously they can shoot daggers with their threes. Sometimes those are howitzers. Great. But that's the way they win the game. When that doesn't happen, it's just kind of smooth. The guards are smooth. I compared them in a post about this. to They're James Bond. They're not the Incredible Hulk. And when it doesn't work, they don't have that Incredible Hulk gear all the time. And I think that's what Barkley was saying. He wants to see from this team, even injured, some Hulk smash, some idea that they're not going to take losses sitting down, some idea that they understand that a game is slipping away from them and they're going to turn it around no matter what happens because Barkley isn't just saying that they can be a good team. He's saying they can be a great team and great teams do not take losses smoothly. And I found myself agreeing with that. I agree with what you're saying, that great teams don't take losses smoothly. I, I agree with that thought. But I don't know that I agree with the thought that we do that. I tend to think that, I mean, we've talked before about the fact that when Portland is behind or when they're the underdog or when people are counting them out, they have a tendency to come back harder and stronger and fight for it. I, I don't see this as a team that gives up easily. I think, you know, there have been times where other teams would have given up or would have just kind of phoned it in and and we haven't and we've come back and won. I, I don't see this as a team that just waits around for things to happen. I think, again, we're injured. I think we're struggling on defense. I don't think that this is a lack of desire or passion or drive or fight. I think that this is just where we're at right now. We're talking about a couple of different things, though. I agree that the Blazers, after they lose or they go on a losing streak or you count them out, they battle back. They're really good at being the underdog. You counted us out. We're offended. We're better. They come back with drive and passion and they say, don't disrespect us again. Great. Great teams don't lose in the first place and let you disrespect them. Great teams will be able to make that adjustment within a game. And granted, the Blazers have comebacks. Granted, we've seen some Damian Lillard heroics. We saw him in Chicago. But absent those, absent those big moments, I'm talking about a normal everyday moment, your average Wednesday night. The Blazers are not very good at shifting gears. They're not very good, especially at getting really mean and angry and shifting gears. There is no Draymond Green 
on this team. There is no Buck Williams on this team. There is no Maurice Lucas on this team. And there has not been for a very long time. There was not in the Roy and Aldridge era either. And it was the same critique then. They were kind of mean and nasty when they were with Sheed and that kind of traveling all-star team. They certainly had it in the Drexler years with Jerome Kersey, Buck Williams, etc. But they don't have that kind of go out there take no prisoners, we are not losing this, get your butts in gear and let's take this kind of attitude or player. I still don't know if I agree. I think Who is that... It? Who? Who? I, Name him. I'm not saying that they have people that are like those people that you're saying. I just don't think that this is a team that deals with things that way. They're not aggressive in the sense of angry aggressive. They're not guys that are going to get pissed off and go out and get technicals. They're not guys that are going to go out and, and, and do that kind of stuff. But I think that this is a team that that fights. I think they fight. And I think no team wins them all. No team comes out and, and turns around every game. That's not a statement you can make. I mean, every team is going to lose sometimes. And I think we've seen Portland often fight back. The amount of times that we have fallen behind and come back and fought for it and either won or come very close to winning, I feel like that's our MO. I feel like that's what we do. Yeah, no, I mean, yes, falling behind and making a good try and the almost. Portland is a smooth team and they're an almost franchise right now. Uh, and they have been for the better part of a decade. And by the way, there are a lot of good things about that. I'd certainly rather be the Blazers than the Kings. But the Blazers are not, say, the Miami Heat. Blazers are not even the Dallas Mavericks in most years. Jason Kidd, especially, Dirk Nowitzki. Now, Dirk Nowitzki had smooth in him, uh, but he had a fair amount of ferocious players around him to help out. LeBron James is all of those things, by the way. He just got mad at some old dude's wife who said something on the sideline. I don't even understand that, but he's in it with the spectators if he feels at all like this is going to turn. And... That's the kind of, I don't know, there's a grit, there's an aggression, there's a something that just absolutely defines teams that make that step from good to great. And it's just Portland's pudding. They're really I, good I, pudding. They don't have that. I don't think that's what makes good teams great. I just don't. I mean, you see that on teams that are good. You see that on teams that suck. I just don't buy that. I mean, I guess you can make an argument for it. I guess there are times there are times where that can be a positive thing. I, I, I get that. I don't think that's our issue. I think, again, a lot of this comes back to defense. I think that is, well, how I don't do you know. Play, how do you play defense, though? You did do what you just I said. I told you how to play defense. Yeah, know, Put exactly. up your hands and Put run at the guy. No matter if you're down 25 or if you're down 2 or if you're up 20, you want to ring the do you think that, that they don't want to win no, like do you think that they no, i mean do you honestly think that they don't want to win they it's not that they don't want to win they absolutely want to win this franchise and part of it i think by the way is because now in two generations basically all the key players have grown up together as you know, very young players and grown up together without real guiding veterans, without veterans who had won a lot, who knew how to uh, accelerate that learning curve. Now, I think Damian Lillard has been accelerated into it. I just don't think that he's exactly that personality. That said, if you had a Draymond Green on this team, Draymond Green would immediately, I think, within two weeks, be yelling at somebody in practice. 
he would be, screw this nice thing, screw this whatever, I'm going to get in your face, and you go out, and you do what you're supposed to do. And if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you don't belong on that court, no matter what else you do. And if you want to beat a team like I used to be on, the Warriors, if you want to beat the Lakers, you have to understand, they're going to come at you and use every damn dirty trick that they learned from Meta World Peace, Ron Artest, and whatever back in the day. The people who would do anything. Dennis Rodman, the Bulls, the Pistons, who would absolutely elbow you in the crotch when you went in for a layup and then smile about it because they cared about winning the playoff game and nothing else. And there was very little nice about it except when they were already winning and they could be. But being nice was a luxury. Being smooth was a luxury. Winning was the thing. And the Blazers as a culture, and I think in this team, don't quite have that. And they don't have to change wholesale to get it. They just need that player to open up that door. And the guards aren't going to do it, so the player needs to open up that door with the whole rest of the team and say, our job is to go out there and be nasty so they can look good. I'm just never going to buy the fact that you need somebody to come in and do that. I do think that that happens. I think it happens on a level where they're not screaming in each other's faces. I think it happens on a level where they feel like they've earned each other's respect and they can speak into each other's lives and part of this game. I mean, we've heard stories about that with, with Dame and players like Nurk who, you know, Dame said like, look, you got to get it together. And then he did. I don't think you have to come at someone aggressively in order to get the point across or to build that fire. I'm never going to be someone who buys that. I'm never going to be someone who thinks, yeah, we need someone who's going to come in here and yell at the team and get aggressive and be uh, a bully I, I just don't buy it like that's just not I don't think you need that I see what you're saying and I can see how that could be an effective tool in some situations I'm not denying that I'm saying I don't think it's necessary I don't think that's what we need you know you're gonna bully you gotta bully the opponent but you're essentially saying we need someone to come in and, and do that to our team in order to get them to do that to the other team. And I just I don't think that's what it is. I don't think that's missing. I don't think that would be received well. I don't think it would work. I think that person would end up being an outsider in a lot of ways. I don't think that would work. You don't need a person who doesn't care about being an outsider as long as the team wins and to open up. But that I don't think that would team. make the team win. I don't think someone coming in and yelling at them to get it together is going to make the team win. Something got to because you know what i agree this team has been satisfied for years this is what the portland culture is people said, I agree people said we weren't that good but you know what we won 45 games and you said we'd win 33 and we got to the second round of the playoffs because the other team got half injured and we weren't and so respect us and you know what no they did they deserve respect for that 2015 they re deserve respect for not folding and winning 20 games 2016 they deserve respect for keeping that up but at a certain point if you want to be better than that you got to get beyond that look i'm not haven't. saying i'm not saying that something doesn't need to change i'm not saying that this is good enough i'm the one who said in i think in our last podcast we were talking about what do we do from here and i've been a component of the fact that we just need to get to the playoffs it doesn't matter what seed we are because ultimately if we're going to win the playoffs if we're going to win a championship we're going to have to play the hard team so i don't care if we do that as a first as an eighth seed or as a third seed i don't care i've heard a lot of pushback from that and i've heard a lot of people saying 
saying, no, we don't want to take on these teams. And I'll tell you the truth. I think the people that are saying that are people who do not believe that we can win a championship. They just want to see us get as far as possible. And they want to be able to say, hey, we made it to the Western Conference Finals. Hey, we won the Western Conference Finals, whatever it may be. The end goal for those people is not a championship. I'm telling you, if you're going to make it to the championship and win the championship, you're going to have to beat the good teams, whether that's the first round or the last round. Like, it doesn't matter when. And so I am absolutely not saying that this is good enough. I am absolutely not saying that. What I am saying is I disagree with the fact that what we need is to bring someone in here to be a bully. I, I don't agree with that. I think I think that there's something wrong. I think that there are things that need to change and things that need to be fixed. If I'm being totally honest, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is because, I mean, obviously our defense needs fixed. We need to fix that. But how do you do that? I don't know. And I am really freaking thankful that that is not my job. I am really glad that it is my job instead to say, hey, our defense needs to be fixed. And that's that. I don't have to figure out how. I'm one of those people right now that's in the car being said, hey, what do you want to eat? And I'm like, I don't care. What do you want to eat? And then I'm turning down every choice you give me. Like, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't. I don't have a solution, but I don't think that's the solution. I would argue that it is. You need you're not gonna beat the Lakers if you get in an eight seed being nice. And you're not gonna beat the Lakers. I'm not saying we should be nice. I'm not saying we should be nice either. You're not gonna beat them being smooth, you're not gonna beat them playing your best game. Because you know what? As soon as you play your best game and beat them once, you're gonna see exactly what we saw last year when that happened. Is they're gonna go, Oh, this is real now, huh? Well, let's get real. And then all of a sudden, by the way, their guards weren't hitting that many more threes their guards still struggled but you know what those bigs said out of my freaking way and there is no way you are stopping me and when our bodies come into contact you're gonna lose and you know someone needs to come on this team that a won't take that b is gonna push back c is gonna inspire everybody else to do so now i'm not saying that the blazers would beat the lakers even if they had draymond green but i'm saying there is no chance of beating the lakers the clippers or anyone else without that kind of attitude because there is another level that winners have and i can't think of a championship team that hasn't at it and the blazers don't again i would love to see these guys go out there and push the other team around i would love it i would be here for that what i don't love is the idea of just bringing someone in to toughen them up and be a jerk like i just i don't think that's the solution you know, i don't bring know someone in who is not satisfied and that's but what I don't think they are. Oh, that's a, that's that's where the breakdown here is. I don't think that they are satisfied. I don't think there's anyone on that team who's like, yeah, you know, we won two and we lost two, and that's good enough for me. I don't think that's they're there. Literally, what they say at the end of every season. At because what are they going to say? Season. Yeah, guys, we sucked. They're <laughs> no, not going to say that. Gonna, they, no, literally, they sell this as good. This is embedded in the franchise. You know what? It's like I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm talking about my son in online school, right? And he wants to, he wants to achieve whatever. He wants to get A's. We don't emphasize grades, by the way. I don't think grades are a very valuable metric all the time. And I do not say you got a B, you should have gotten an A because an A is better, right? Uh, instead, we ask what he's learning and what he wants to do, what he wants to achieve, et cetera, et cetera. And he wants to do well. He wants to do well. He has that desire. 
but he also has had to develop the skills that unless you put in taking notes every day, unless you rewatch something that you didn't want to watch the first time because you know you don't have it, unless you sit down and you focus and you bear down on that exam or whatever it is that you're taking, you can want A's all you want, but they're not coming unless you put in the work because guess what? You're not one of those lucky people who is blessed to walk through the world and automatically get whatever you want. And very few of us are. And you know what? The Blazers kind of, you know, again, I think this has dawned on Lillard. I think it's dawning on McCollum. And I don't want to make judgments because I think, by the way, it couldn't have come any faster the way things were set up. But the Blazers have a lot of other players around them who are kind of not. Look, there's a, there was Walton and there was Lucas and those were the stars. But everybody else knew how to fall in around them. There was Drexler and there was Porter. And there was some friction. There was some Kersey and Duckworth had to adjust. But basically, everybody formed a solid wall around them. And this was one of the issues, by the way, with Cliff Robinson's rookie year, is that he came in and he didn't know how to do that. And he stuck out like a sore thumb until he learned it. Danny Ainge, when he came in here, by the way, brought some of that grit and I literally I will bite your ear off tree Rollins if I have to in order to win this game and everybody hated Danny Ainge until he was on your team and then you loved him that player to inculcate that attitude I'm telling you would make a world of difference you're not going to sway me here. Don't agree with you that this team thinks that this is enough. I don't agree with you that they think it's okay. I think it's a line. I think this will, we did what we did, whatever. I think it's a company line, but we've talked about this before. Like we've talked about the chemistry and the culture in Portland. And I think that this is put out there as, you know, we're good guys. We're good people. We love each other. We get along. We, whatever, like I, the, you, you get the point. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, the company line. And I, I think it's, it's true. But I also think when you look at these players, they want to win. These are not players that are satisfied. These are not guys that are just sitting. I I, I don't see it. I don't oh, Chris, see it. And you're not going to convince Haynes me otherwise. Interview. Now, look, two years ago, again, I think that's different now. I think that it's beginning to dawn on them that, you know, they're 30, that, that this has been together for a long time, a lot longer than most NBA teams get, and it's not getting better. But I think that's a rare, fairly recent realization. Two years ago. That's sitting, what, but, but I'm talking about now. I'm two, saying right now, as it sits, this team that walked off that court tonight wants to win. Right. But the avenue from point a to point b that they should have been learning three years ago so that now when they get to this point it's available to them they're behind on the growth curve there and i again i think this is exactly what charles barkley is pointing out he's going these guys are super talented these guys are in the prime of their careers these guys are now surrounded by talent and somehow this isn't working because there's something that they haven't picked up and he identified it as kind of taking the game as it comes and kind of playing okay with that now i'm not saying that happens in every night and every moment obviously 11 seconds left in chicago it didn't happen like that but on average in your average game there's too much of it for the blazers 
right now. And by the way, I want to tell everybody. So Dia's wearing some fabulous jewelry necklace that the light is reflecting off. So I am getting, <laughs> as she's going on this tirade, I'm getting lens flares all over this Zoom. It's like a J.J. Abram movie. I mean, I could film this and it's just like a monologue that, that the hero of the movie and the lens flares all over. Uh, it's absolutely fabulous. So well done. What, what else have you got on the docket? This was my this was my strategy in in arguing today. I was just going to blind you so that you couldn't think straight. Oh, it's literally you know, the rainbow and the circle and the <laughs> lights off. I swear to you, it's like new Star Trek on the bridge. The rainbows they follow me. I don't know what to tell <laughs> right. you about that. If that's a unicorn necklace, then you've got something. There. You know, it, it is what it is. I think this is one of those things we may have to agree to disagree on and see what happens. But I just we won't. I, I think that there are other ways. I don't know what they are. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to think about this. I'm going to come up with a, a solution to be talked about at a future date. There's a whole lot of calls for some coaching changes. I think that what's happening here is we're struggling. It's obvious we're struggling. On top of that, we're injured and people want someone to blame. They want someone to blame. They can't blame the guys that are injured because whose fault is that? And I think a lot of people right now are looking at coaches because what else do we do? It's kind of the conversation we just had where I'm sitting here saying, I don't know. I, I Something has to change, but I don't know what it is. And I think <laughs> so, other I'm people- sorry. Blaming the coaches is the version of us going, oh, okay, Applebee's it is. I mean, it's just the, yeah. the most basic. Yeah, basic Basically, it's it's basically okay. We we can't agree on where we're gonna eat, so let's just pick somewhere that we're fine with. Like it, that, I didn't break that down well, but you you get it. Like it's just and it's a crap place. It's just like chain food. Oh, God. I like Applebee's. Really? Oh my gosh! I, I never do. I think it's great. You. I mean, even the disagreement over the Blazers, that's good. But here, you and I will part ways. <laughs> I am easily pleased when it comes to food. Applebee's. I, if you want to be much. a sponsor of this podcast, I will change my, my mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I just I think people are looking for a scapegoat. I think they're looking for someone to blame. I think everybody's kind of at this like we have this talent. We have whatever. Like, why can't we do it? Why? Where is this breaking down? Oh, I think I'll just blame Stotts. That's easy. And so here we are. So, I mean, we've talked about before the fact that neither of us really is on the fire Stotts train. I still am not. Uh, even after, you know, the last few games where people seem to be calling for it even more, I still am not one to to think that. I think that there need to be some changes, maybe even franchise management ch changes, but I do not necessarily think that that is a change that needs to be made as far as Stotts goes. Okay, I've tried to calm down from when you brought up the topic, and not at you, by the way. I will disagree a little bit in that I am amenable to talk of a coaching change. I don't think it's just the easy out. I think this is an easy out, but I think that after X number of years, a new voice might be needed. I do not think that is Terry Stotts' fault. I do not think that the defensive woes are entirely Terry Stotts' responsibility. And I do not think that any coach you bring in mid-season here, by the way, is going to cure this. That Agreed. is not going to happen. It's likely to make it worse. So at the end of the year, and by the way, you and I talked about this preseason in like podcast one or two. At the end of this year, if there is not success, 
things will have to change. There will be no choice at that point. And one of those changes is likely to be the coach. We literally said those words. So I am not opposed to that when the time comes. But the idea that you're going to change coaches and all of a sudden the defense is going to be better, let alone with half the team injured, that is ridiculous. I have not read the article either. I want to be measured in what I say because there are many reasons to write an article. I don't, I'm not particularly interested in making enemies or critiquing things. I think I've written some stuff that I, you know, would have rather, that I would probably read it right in a different way if I were to go back and do it again over the years. Probably had one or two of those. But just reading from the tweet, it's bullcrap. It's absolute. I mean, the wording of that, oh, we need to ask questions about how much the defense has improved in nine years since Stotts has been here. We've had good defense, though. Like, okay. there have been, there. it's this. It's not like this. I mean, we have had some good, it's, yeah. sorry. Yes, no, no that's exactly it. That's a great point that I wasn't going to bring up, but there were years when the defense was good. Yeah. When we had continuity and good defensive players, by the way, like Wesley Matthews, Nicola Batum, and, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge wasn't bad in those days. Okay, so you had all those. Who else has been here nine years? And by the way, during the last six of them, we have literally told you, we have literally told you real time as it was happening. These moves are not adequate. 2016 was a disaster. Uh, The Zach Collins draft had better work out because there were opportunities missed there that probably could have gone a better way over and over and over again. Again, in real time, we have described how this is not working. Not a word, not a word about that besides the company line has come out. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, the Blazers are down. It's obvious that Stotts is on thin ground. Mid-season, they're not doing that well. Now, all of a sudden, we want to call this out. And by the way, we're not even calling out the right person. No, agreed. Agreed. That's that's crap. I mean, and I'm sorry, it just is. I, I've probably have gone too far. Don't want to burn bridges. But this is not okay. This analysis is way late. This yep. analysis is misaimed. And it, it might be indicative, though, by the way, The one thing that I can think of, and I have no inside knowledge, as I always like to say, but it is probably indicative that somewhere in the organization or elsewhere that Stotts has lost some support and therefore makes an easy target for people to talk about. And that's the thing. Here's the thing that I keep thinking as far as all this goes without saying things that'll get me in trouble just focusing on the simple fact that people are sitting here saying we should fire shots. Who do you think they are going to get in the middle of a season who is going to come in and do a better job? The people that are good at this are already coaching teams. Who are they going to get that's going to come in in mid-season and make any sort of big change? None of this makes sense to me as far as that goes. The only thing I can think is that he's a scapegoat. That Everybody's looking at this as there's something missing here. Something's going wrong. We need someone to blame. Well, Stotts is a part of it, but he's only a part of it. Right. What coach? We told you, we can go back like less than a month and a half. We literally told you 
that if Yusuf Nurkic does not come in with his old form, the defense isn't going to work and there's not going to be continuity. And he came in playing much below his optimum. We told you that this would happen. Now, all of a sudden, what coach is going to bring Yusuf Nurkic back healthy, in shape, and playing like he did two years ago before he broke his leg? That's not a coaching thing. We told you that Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. could be great, perhaps. But A, there was continuity. B, Covington hadn't been real great at all his destinations. And C, the three-point shooting would be an issue with both, no matter what happened. And basically, I think they've been pretty good. But they haven't been the superstars that people were hoping for for the exact reasons we told you. How could this possibly be a coaching issue when we literally laid out the systemic cracks in the system before they played game one? Yeah, there's a lot more that I think people don't necessarily think about than just the head coach. There are other people within the organization that have an impact on the team and who is on the team and how the team plays. It goes farther than just the coach and it goes shallower than just the coach. I don't know how to say that. It goes, the coach is kind of in the middle. There's people on the business side. There's people on the organization side. There's players on the other side. Like there's a lot of moving pieces to this. You can't just expect that if they fire Stotts and bring someone else in, it's going to fix all the problems. It's not. What was the preseason narrative on Carmelo Anthony? And God bless him. He just scored 21 points in 26 minutes. and Which probably means he won't be able to play the next game because of some (laughs) random injury. injury. Exactly. But uh, help the Blazers get a win. So God bless Carmelo. Love what he did. I think he's really a pretty good version of Carmelo right now. Certainly better than any of us ever expected to see uh, more than a year ago when he came on. Right. So great. Good signing as far as Carmelo scale goes. But what was the narrative about Carmelo before the season? Uh, Protect the legacy. This guy can help us score. This guy can come off the bench. You know what they didn't say? This guy will really improve our defense the more we play him. Right. right? Ennis Cantor. Ennis Cantor, I think, has played a little bit above his head defensively sometimes. Not all the times. There have been bad things, too. But he's really done pretty well. Good version of Ennis Cantor. You know what? He rebounds. He scores. He has continuity with the rest of the team. You know what? He's not a defender. What coach is going to fix that? Plus, you've got a lot of young players. You've got the veterans who are returning from injury and are uh, um, a mark slower than they used to be. Who's going to fix that from the coach's seat? It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, this is just, it's it's a deeper issue. And there's other things at play here. And I just don't think it's as simple as fire the coach. And there's other things at play that that weren't brought out as obviously and as stridently and with as much hype as it was just that. We need to look at this coaching issue and the improvement over nine years. Okay, well, look at the other hundred things too then. Don't just pick one. Quite frankly, we've, like we said, there have been times where our defense has been fine, even good. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. Uh, we can we can go back and forth on this forever. I feel like this is one of those things that people who think this are going to think this. People want a reason to they they need someone to blame. And so unfortunately, Terry Stotts is the one that's getting the flack for that. Right. Oh, wasn't there something about excuses? Enough excuses and courtesy rendered to what? 
I mean, excuse me. Okay, 2016, <laughs> blowing the entire salary cap on Evan Turner, Al Farouk, Aminu, Mo Harkless. I know Aminu, I think, was a year earlier, but you get the idea, okay? With players who didn't play, that was not a coaching decision, and that's not an excuse. It literally hamstrung this team. Uh, granted, Aminu and Harkless, Aminu especially, played well, but he was limited, and we saw the ceiling. And their salaries hamstrung this franchise until 2020 for four years. That's not an excuse. That's reality. And that think, really happened. I think I hit a nerve here, Dave. For, yeah, no, you didn't hit it. But I just, <laughs> you know, I just, I just think, look, if we're going to talk about these things, let's talk about these things in touch with reality, not just... Yeah finding a person to yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna need to go read that article later and see oh uh, no what uh, I have to say. i'm not clicking on it <laughs> sorry <laughs> and, and uh, granted that means that maybe i shouldn't be talking about it maybe the article's a lot more measured i'm just reacting to the tweet that i saw and the tweet that i which saw is, is which is something to keep in mind that you know i mean i, I think as media it's important those 280 characters that you get to push an article matter Um, it's, you know, the way that you use your platform and your words, Uh, there are a lot of people who will read the tweet and never go read the article and they'll make their assumptions based on, on that. So something to keep in mind, something to keep in mind. You know, this is not necessarily Blazer related, but NBA wide. I wanted to comment on the fact, you know, the guys were out there tonight. It's February. It's Black History Month. And they were wearing shirts that said built by Black History. And for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, they had on um, shirts that honored Martin Luther King Jr. I think they had a quote on them. I should have written it down. I didn't. But I think that this is a really cool thing that the NBA has done. It's NBA wide. They're the warm up shirts for all the teams. And I just think it's really cool. You know, there was a lot of talk when they went into the bubble and there were some things that were happening, like putting Black Lives Matter on the court, giving the players an opportunity to put a message on the back of their jersey. There was a lot of talk about that, a lot of back and forth. And I heard a lot of people saying things like, what does this do? What difference does this make? How does this matter? And I I wrote about this for Blazer's Edge. Um, my eight-year-old now, she was seven at the time, seven-year-old daughter and I were sitting and watching a game and she's at the age where she can read and she saw Black Lives Matter on the court and she brought it up and it started a very candid conversation with her. Seven years old, I mean, these are things that we talk about regularly and and things that I address with her regularly. So she was familiar with it, but she wanted to know why it was on the basketball court. And so we talked about it. And I feel like these are conversation starters. And I think, you know, people tend to view the world through their own eyes and through their own experiences and through this filter of, well, it doesn't affect me, so it doesn't matter. And I think a lot of times people see these shirts and think, well, this doesn't make a difference for me, so it doesn't matter. Or they see the message on the court and they think, I don't care if that message is there. Like, I already have heard, like, why does this matter? But I think it's important to remember that representation matters, awareness matters, bringing these things to the forefront of the media matters. These are important topics. And and I think I hear often 
you need to use your platform. You need to do this. You need to, and, and I think that that's what this is doing. This is a way that the NBA has stepped up. They've answered the players as the players have asked for a change, as the players have asked for a way to, you know, continue to fight this social justice fight. And yes, it's a small thing. They're wearing a shirt. But you look at things like the WNBA. There was a whole thing with the WNBA where there was uh, an owner. Anyway, I won't get into all that. But my point in that is they started wearing shirts with a message and people started listening to that and it created actual change. We've seen that happen. And so seeing these messages on these shirts and, and, and the messages that are being put out there by the NBA, I, for one, as someone who has a small child who watches these things and sees these things, I'm just really proud of the organization, of the teams, of the way that they've continued to, in small ways, try to create big change. And I think that that's important. I think small things matter. And I think they add up and they make a difference and they bring awareness. And that's just something that I noticed today and just, it made me happy. It made me proud. Um, and I just wanted to bring that up because I think that's something that has, that I've, I've heard that topic come up a few times. And I just wanted to offer that perspective. I mean, very well put. And obviously, I'm not an expert. Neither one of us can speak with the voice that needs to be heard. But our entire experience of NBA history is built on the shoulders of black history. That's mm -hmm. just the way it's been ever since the league got integrated. Yeah. And by the way, even before it was integrated, there was still black history involved there. It was just we were making it to the negative. So there is no game of basketball that did not involve racial issues. There is no NBA franchise or game or moment that is not bound up in these. And the thing is that, as we say, neither you or I nor experts are, are experts. There are voices we need to listen to. And whatever mm -hmm. those voices say that we need to listen to is what we need to listen to. They get to lead. They lead yeah. on that court. They represent what they represent. And we who enjoy the skills and the entertainment that they bring also must be confronted with the reality of the personhood that they bring. Yeah. And divorcing one from the other is inhuman. Uh, it dehumanizes. And that is something that I will not be a part of that I do not wish to be a part of, even though I'm bound up in it in ways voluntary and involuntary. I'm not perfect. I'm enculturated just like everyone else. But as far as I have a choice, I will not choose to not listen. I will not choose to critique what someone else feels they need to say about their experience that we need to understand. I will not reduce that expression to a slogan that I call political and dismiss because I feel like there are flaws in it. There are flaws in every platform and every saying. There is no perfect wording or perfect concept. So what you do is the people who feel like they need to speak in the venue that you depend on to be in that venue, you listen to. And yeah. That is what I enjoy doing, and that is what I feel I'm doing when I see the slogans and when I see the uniforms and whatever those players want or need to say, I will listen to, because otherwise it's not fair for me to be observing at all. Agreed. Agreed. I think it's something that, you know, is important to always talk about when we have the opportunity. All of us should be using what we've got, and, and this is something we've got, so, you know. 
it's important. It's important. Very good. Well, speaking of, um, well, less important things, we will return less next week, as always. Hopefully it will be as spirited. Uh, hopefully we'll have a lot of positive <laughs> stuff to talk about, too. Uh, either way, we will be here. We hope you are, too. Uh, you can find us wherever your finer podcasts are found. And tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell everybody, Dave and Dia, hashtag whatever, super awesome. And make sure that you tune in next week and bring people along, too. For Dia Miller, I'm Dave Deckard. Have a good week. and. Go Blazers. This has been Dave and Dia, a Blazers Edge production. Find more basketball talk at BlazersEdge.com. Watch your step as you exit, and we hope to see you again soon. Dave and Dia, what is that? A Swedish skin cream company?